0: If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. For the past few months, we have been studying through the book of Hebrews, which is all about uh, how Jesus is greater than everything, how he's greater than everyone else. And so far in our study, we have seen that Jesus is greater than all the amazing prophets of the Old Testament. He's greater than all the spectacular angels. He's greater than Moses that God used to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt, who God used Moses to give the law. He's greater than Joshua who led uh, the nation of Israel into the promised land. And this morning we're taking a break from our study uh, through Hebrews, but we're still going to be looking at the greatness of Jesus. We're going to be looking at the greatness of Jesus in... Baptism, And this morning, we're going to have three people getting baptized uh, right here in this tank. And those three people are Mario and Abigail and Isaiah. And the reason these three people are getting baptized is, is ultimately because of the greatness of Jesus. They're getting baptized because of the greatness of Jesus to save them from their sins, uh, the greatness of Jesus to uh, allow them to have a relationship with God. You see, only Jesus is great enough to actually pay the price for our sin, to to make it possible so that we can be forgiven of our sin. Only Jesus was great enough to conquer death so that we could have a relationship with him. Only Jesus is great enough to change our lives here on earth, but also to change our eternal destiny to go from hell to heaven. And these three things show the greatness of Jesus, that they're connected with baptism. Now, in the New Testament, there's a a man who, you know, was very connected to baptism. We actually, when we speak of his name, we refer to him as John the Baptist because one of the main uh, callings that God had on his life was to baptize people. And, um, He was a man that recognized the greatness of Jesus. And when a group of people came to him and spoke to him, you know, he shared about the greatness of Jesus and he gave us one really important reason why Jesus is so great. And he does this in John chapter one, verses 26 through 29, it says this. John answered them, speaking of John the Baptist, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Betharabah, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So as people are gathered around John the Baptist, he tells them, you know what, there's someone who's coming. Someone who's coming here, he's going to be in your midst, and he is so much greater than I am. You know, and people were coming to him and saying, man, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you, you know, a great prophet like Elijah? I mean, people thought John was, was great, and John's wanting them to see, well, you might think I'm great, but there's someone far greater than me, someone who's coming that's so much greater than I am that I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal, the straps on his sandals. Now, now the person that John is speaking of here is Jesus. And so he's saying, Jesus is so much greater than me that I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Now, this is something that in that culture, in that context would have made sense, but I want you to understand there was a common thought in that time that a disciple must serve his teacher in every single task. So if a teacher tells him to do this or to do that or whatever, the, the disciple had to do that except there were two things that he wouldn't do. He wouldn't have to take off the, the person's sandals and he wouldn't have to wash their feet. That would say, you know, that's that's beneath a disciple. That That's too low for them to have to do. That's reserved for the lowest of servants. And this is something that we need to realize because, you know, in our day and a, age, you know, most of the roads we walk on are paved. You know, we wear shoes. But back then, you know, it was just dirt roads, People wore sandals, and so you know what? You have pretty disgusting feet. And imagine this, guess who else is on those roads? There's donkeys, there's camels, you know, there's horses, and they're pooping and they're peeing, and the roads are just disgusting, let's just be real, and people are walking through this all day, and so then they come to your house, and you don't want that in your house. And so there was the lowest servant, why? Because no other servant wanted this job, he was the one stuck with the job of removing the sandals and washing people's feet before they came into the house. And so the saying was, hey, if you're a disciple, then you have to do everything except That. You don't have to touch people's feet. You don't have to wash their feet. You don't have to remove their sandals. That's for only the lowest servant slave in the home. And John the Baptist is saying, you know what? Jesus is so much greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to do what the lowest slave does. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals and to wash his feet. And then the next day that John sees Jesus coming towards him, He gives everybody around the main reason why Jesus is so much greater than he is. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, for us today, if you don't know anything about the Bible, if someone says, behold the Lamb of God, you know, that might not kind of bring much to your attention. That might be kind of a weird statement of all the things to, you know, talk about God. You call him a Lamb. You know, that kind of just seems weird. I mean, why don't you call him something different? But for the Jews, Back then, when they hear Lamb of God, all sorts of things would have come to their mind because their history was full of significant things connected with lambs. They would have started with back in Genesis, where Abraham speaks prophetically when he says, God will provide himself a lamb. And then they would think of the Exodus where there was the Passover lamb that they killed and they put the blood on the doorpost and lintel and the death angel passed over their house they'd be thinking of that lamb and then in Leviticus we have the sacrificial lamb the one that was killed to atone for the sin of the nation of Israel and then in Isaiah there was this great prophecy that he is going to uh, the Messiah is ultimately going to be a lamb that is going to be sent to the slaughter and so when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the people would be thinking of all these things because they they understood you know a lamb was very significant in their history. And the fact that John is saying, behold, look, there he is. There is Jesus. He's identifying Jesus as the Lamb. All these things coming to their mind. That's the guy right there. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I think something interesting to note about you know, all these references to the lamb is back in Genesis 22 when, when Isaac says to Abraham, hey, behold, there's the fire and there's the wood for the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? Well, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And that's when Abraham says God will provide himself a lamb. You know, where is the lamb? That's the question that rings throughout the Old Testament. Where is he? We need him. But here in the New Testament, we hear John the Baptist answer that question. The question is, where is the lamb? John the Baptist says, there he is, Jesus. He's the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you continue on to the last book of the Bible, the, the book of Revelation chapter 5, we're told that there are people throughout heaven declaring, worthy is Jesus the lamb. So where is the lamb is the cry of the Old Testament. Behold, the lamb is the hope of the New Testament. And worthy is the lamb is the summation of all eternity. You see, the Bible describes Jesus in many different ways. And in each one of these descriptions, it's given to us to show an aspect of the greatness of who Jesus is. For example, some of the things the Bible declares is Jesus is the the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the true vine. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the prophet, the high priest, the king of kings and lord of lords. But you know, before everything else from Genesis to Revelation, the greatness of Jesus is seen in the fact that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And something that I love is this message of the lamb of God. It grows wider. And it becomes more encompassing as you travel through the Bible, starting in Genesis and then Exodus. And as you keep moving all the way to the last book of Revelation, this concept of the Lamb of God gets wider and it gets more encompassing. You see, it started in Genesis. Abel brings a lamb, Cain and Abel. He brings a lamb as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. But notice it's just for himself alone. So it's a lamb for an individual. In Exodus, during the Passover, each household had to sacrifice a lamb for their household. So it was a lamb for a family. In Leviticus, the people of Israel were instructed to sacrifice a lamb to atone for the sin of the entire nation. So it was a lamb for the whole nation of Israel. But here in the Gospel of John, he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so now you have this encompassing, it's not just an individual, it's not just a family, it's not just one nation, it's the lamb who will take away the sin of the entire world. Jesus' sacrifice for our sin on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, it's one of the main reasons why Jesus is so much greater than everyone and everything. And that's really the foundation of baptism. You see, baptism is directly connected to Jesus' death, on the cross, directly connected to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so this morning as we baptize Mario and Abigail and Isaiah, I really want you to remember that all of these things are pointing to the greatness of Jesus. Week after week, we've been looking in Hebrews at reasons why Jesus is greater than other things. And I don't want this week to be any different. I want you to, to recognize as we have this time to look at baptism, just to remember it's all about the greatness of Jesus. And so for those of you who are here, you're already believers. You already have been personally baptized. You know, what I'm going to share about about baptism, especially if you've heard me share about it in the past, it's not going to be new information. It's just going to be a reminder of things you know. But what I really want to encourage you this morning is to allow that information to encourage you personally with the greatness of Jesus, not just only in the lives of those who are getting baptized, but remember your own. Remember your own time where you were baptized. Remember the time that you accepted Christ. Remember what God has been doing in your life since the day you chose to trust in Him and to see the greatness that He has, not only just generally, but personally for you. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't really understand why we as Christians baptize people, why we fully immerse them in water, I realize if someone doesn't understand what that's about, you know, it can seem very weird. You know, why are you dunking people in water? What is the point? What's the purpose? I mean, is this kind of some holy bath? You know, I don't really get it. You know, what's going on? And I can understand from the outside looking in without any concept of why we do this. It just seems kind of weird that Christians do this. And so before Mario and Abigail and Isaiah get baptized this morning, I want to take some time to explain what baptism is. Also, what it is not, uh, who should get baptized, who are the people that should be doing the baptizing, and then most importantly, three main reasons why we as Christians get baptized. So let's start by answering the first question, which is, what is baptism? So if you're here, you don't have any concept of this, in basic terms, baptism is an outward action. That symbolizes an inward change, commitment, and relationship that you already have with Jesus. So baptism, it's an outward action. It's something that you can see. We're all going to see Mario. We're all going to see Abigail. We're all going to see Isaiah getting baptized this morning. And what we're going to see symbolizes a relationship that those three people already have with Jesus. So baptism is really similar to a a wedding ring. You know, a wedding ring symbolizes a relationship that you have with the person that you chose to marry. Here are some pictures of Jenny, my wife, and I on our wedding day. And uh, if you look at some of these, you're thinking, what in the world is a woman in her wedding dress doing on a little rowing boat on a little pond? But uh, her dad did not walk her down the aisle. He rowed her, uh, and it was just a special thing because they spent a lot of time fishing, and, and that was something for them. But at the end of this, the ceremony, you know, which you typically do in almost all wedding ceremonies, there's the exchanging of the rings. And the wedding ring that I gave to Jenny and the wedding ring that I'm wearing that she gave to me, you know, that didn't give us a relationship with each other. It wasn't like we just showed up there. We didn't know each other. All of a sudden, she gives me a ring. I give her a ring. I'm like, wow, we got this relationship. No, we already had the relationship. This was just a symbol, a symbol of the relationship, a symbol of the commitment that we had already made to one another. We were already willing to spend the rest of our lives together as husband. And wife. And so they were just a public symbol to everybody else. We have this intimate personal relationship with one another. We're married. So when Jenny's out and about, and a man looks at her and he says, Oh, wow, she's beautiful, you know, I'd love to date her. And he comes up to her and he sees her hand and he recognizes, Oh, there's a wedding ring there. That should be like, Oh, she's taken. You know, I can't pursue her. You know, she's someone who's already given herself. Uh, In a relationship with someone else. But if that guy continues to pursue Jenny after she knows he's married, then he'll get to see my wedding ring in his face. So, you know, wedding rings are this public symbol that you're committed in this relationship with a husband or wife. But baptism is a similar thing. It's a public symbol. A public symbol of a committed relationship that you have with Jesus. And so as Mario and Abigail and Isaiah, as they go and they get baptized, for all of us, this is a public symbol of, hey, I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus. I want to live my life till death do I part in this relationship with Jesus. And I want everybody here to see that and to know that. And so something important to understand is that because you already have the relationship, baptism doesn't save you. It's not something that's, well, once I'm baptized, then I'm saved. No, you already are saved. You already have that relationship because you put your faith into Jesus. Baptism is then just something that you do in obedience after you do that. It follows that relationship. You know, in Luke chapter 23, there's the thief on the cross, And the thief on the cross and Jesus have this conversation as they're both hanging there on the cross. And notice what's said in Luke 23, 42 and 43. It says, Then he said to Jesus, this thief, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise, he's speaking of heaven. Today you will be with me in heaven. So this thief on this cross is saved. Notice Jesus said, well, you know what? We're going to have to take you down. You're going to have to dunk you. We're going to have to get you baptized. No, he was saved because he put his faith in Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This verse makes very clear. You need to confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead. And you got to believe that. And if you confess it and you believe it, guess what? You will be saved. It does not say, end, get baptized, and then you'll be saved. So baptism does not save you. It's that outward symbol of the relationship you already have, that you already are saved, that you already put your faith in Jesus. You've already asked him to forgive you of your sins. So that is what baptism is. So as you watch Mario and Abigail and Isaiah getting baptized, you can recognize this is a public symbol that they have placed their faith in Jesus, that they have a relationship with Jesus, that they're committed to living their lives for Jesus. The next question I want to answer for you is who should get baptized? Is baptism for any person at any age at any time? Well, the answer is no. There are clear biblical requirements that need to be met in order for someone to be baptized according to what we see in the Bible. And there's one really important requirement. As you look through the scriptures, every single person that we see baptized, they were always baptized after they first had believed in Jesus. They accepted who Jesus was, that he is God. They accepted what he did on the cross, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. It was after that belief in Jesus that they were then baptized. We see many examples. I'll just give you one. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 says, but when they believed Philip, As he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And so Philip's going out, he's preaching the gospel, he's sharing the good news of what Jesus has done, and as people believe that message, put their trust in Jesus, notice then they're baptized. And that's what we see over and over again through the Bible. It is first, you believe in Jesus, and then second, you are baptized. So who should get baptized? Only people who believe in who Jesus is and what he has done and have asked for his forgiveness. And this is why in our church we don't baptize babies. You know, ultimately, if you baptize a baby, it's a parent trying to say, I'm doing this on behalf of my child, but the Bible doesn't speak that. Every person has to make a choice for themselves about whether or not they're going to choose to believe in Christ. Someone else can't make that choice for you. Uh, and so you have to be of an age where you understand what has been done for you by Christ and willingly accept that, and then you get baptized. Uh, and so we don't do that for children or babies because uh, they're not of an age that they can understand that and accept that for themselves. Now, for different kids, that awareness, that understanding, and that willingness to accept that, that comes at different ages. And so, you know, there's not a specific age if you have to be this old. It's really a matter of, have you come to a place where you can understand the gospel and that you have personally accepted what Jesus has done for you? If you've done that, then wonderful. You're saved and also wonderful. We would love to baptize you so that you can be obedient to the Lord in that. And so Mario and Abigail and Isaiah, they have all understood the gospel. They have all accepted the gospel. They personally have a relationship with Jesus. And because of that, we are happy to baptize them. And we're excited that this public uh, example and symbol of their faith and commitment to Jesus will happen today. Now, the next question that I think is important to answer, especially today, is who should be the one baptizing others? Do you have to be a pastor to do it? Do you have to be an apostle to do it? Do you have to be on some kind of church staff? You know, have some kind of role or some kind of responsibility or some kind of title? You know, is that the requirement for someone to baptize another person? The answer is no. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We refer to this as the Great Commission. And guess who the Commission's to? Every single person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Every single Christian has been given this commission to go into the world make disciples, and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's not just for someone like myself who's a pastor to go in the world and make disciples. It's for all of us. And in the same way, it's not just for myself as a pastor to baptize people. That's something that anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ has the authority from God and the ability to do. And so... Answering that question, who should be the one baptizing others? It is anyone who has already placed their faith in Jesus. If you are a Christian, then you have that authority from God. Now, last year, I had the privilege of baptizing my two daughters. And, you know, I wasn't really doing that just as a pastor. I was doing that much more as a Christian father. You know, that that is what I wanted. That I wanted to, as a dad, say, I get to baptize my two girls. And it's a wonderful thing for a parent who is a Christian to baptize their child once their child is of age and once their child has accepted Christ, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do that. It's a wonderful thing if you have a friend, you've been sharing the gospel with them and all of a sudden they accept Christ, that, that you get to be that person to baptize them or you have a coworker, whoever it is, because guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, you have that ability to do that. But you know, it's also a wonderful thing you say, you know what? I want my pastor to do this. You know, I I love listening. I love that. My child loves that. I want to give the pastor this privilege, this responsibility. I see it as both of those things. It's a privilege to get to baptize people. It's a, it's a great responsibility. And I'm excited that people allow me to do that. Say, hey, you know what? I want to give you that. You know, especially for parents, I want you to be the one that that gets to to baptize my child. And so both are biblical, both are wonderful. And I bring that up especially because this morning, you know, I'm going to get the privilege of baptizing someone else's daughter. And this morning, we're going to have a father getting to baptize his son. Uh, And so I just want to recognize uh, this is a great thing that we see biblically. And it's a wonderful thing just for us to be able to be a part of and do that. So baptism is an outward action that symbolizes an inward change, commitment, and relationship you already have with Jesus. The people who should get baptized are only those who have personally put their trust in Jesus. And the people who should be doing the baptisms are also only those who have already placed their faith in Jesus. And so that's what baptism is. That's who should do it. And that's who should get it done. And now I want to answer maybe the most important question, especially if you're here and you don't really know why Christians get baptized. You, all right, I, I get what it is, but still I don't understand why it is you do it. And so, you know, why should we do this? Why are Mario and Abigail and Isaiah and any follower of Jesus getting baptized? I mean, I already said it, it doesn't save you. So what's the point? What's the purpose? Why do we do it? Well, there are three main reasons why we as Christians get baptized. The first reason is out of obedience to Jesus. The second reason is to publicly show our commitment to Jesus. And the third is to identify with Jesus. So the first reason, and maybe the only reason we really need as believers, why do we get baptized is because we want to obey what Jesus tells us to do. The last command that Jesus gives to his followers, one that I actually just read when I spoke of who should be the one baptizing people, the last command that Jesus gives is in Matthew 28, I'll reread that, but just remind us, he's giving a command to us and he says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus is saying, hey, here's a command. I command you as my followers to be not just discipling people, but to be baptizing them as well. And so Jesus commands everybody who accepts him to be baptized. This wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't like, you know, if you can get around to it, it would be nice. You know, it's kind of a you know something that I would prefer, but, you know, only if you got time. No, he says, this is a command. Just like all the other commands in the Bible that you see that Jesus gives to us, this is one of those. As a follower of me, a command that I give to you is that you should be baptized. And this is one of the main reasons why Mario and Abigail and Isaiah are getting baptized this morning. They want to obey what Jesus commands them to. To do. So if you are a believer this morning, you have accepted Jesus Christ, you have put your faith in Him, but you have yet to uh, obey Him and get baptized, I just want to encourage you this is something that you need to do. I would love for you to come talk with me because right now, this is one aspect of your life where you're in disobedience, where you're definitely going against what God's Word says. It's not going to save you to do it, but it is going to put you in a place where you're being obedient to what Jesus tells you to do, and that's something can easily be rectified. You know, come speak with me. We would love to baptize you if you have accepted Christ and you have yet to do that. So that's the first reason we do it is out of obedience. The second reason we do it is to publicly show our commitment to Jesus. So as Mario comes up and Abigail comes up and Isaiah come up and they're getting baptized, it's a a public commitment that I've accepted Jesus and I'm going to live for Jesus. I want to commit to all of you that I am living my life to follow Jesus. And as a symbol of that commitment, they're going to be fully immersed in water. As I mentioned earlier, that like that wedding ring symbol. My wedding ring is a symbol of my commitment to my wife a symbol to the vows that I made to her. Till death do us part, I will stay committed to you. And so my wedding ring is that symbol of that commitment. And in the same way, baptism is a symbol of the commitment to follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. And so as we watch Mario and Abigail and Isaiah get baptized, they are publicly showing to us the commitment to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. So the first reason is obedience. The second reason is to publicly show their commitment and the third reason is to identify with Jesus. You see, baptism is a step of identification because through it you are identifying with Jesus. Through baptism, you might identify with Jesus's uh, death on the cross for us. You identify with Jesus's resurrection for us, and really to fully understand what we're identifying with, you, you got to understand what Jesus did and why. He did it. And so we really got to start off with a problem. The problem is something that you need to understand so you understand, well, well why did Jesus do any of this to begin with? And the problem that the Bible brings to us is, is two big problems, which is pretty bad news for you and I. The first problem is seen in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the Bible makes very clear, every single person is a sinner. It doesn't say some have sinned or most have sinned. It says all have sinned. Now, most people, they like to see themselves as a good person. And a lot of people do good things. Some people do a lot more good things than other people do. But it doesn't change the fact that even if you've done some good things, we're also all guilty of doing sinful things. All of us have not done all that God has commanded us to do. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard, we are all sinful. Things like lying and cheating and stealing and lusting and and the list goes on and on, and it only takes one time to be guilty. So the first problem is that all of us are sinners, which brings us to the second problem. And that is, okay, well, what does that do to us? What has our sin done to us? Because you know, a lot of people think, well, who cares? Who cares if I'm a sinner? You know, are there any problems with being a sinner? Or are there any consequences to being a sinner? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, a wage is something that you earn. You, know, you go to work, you, know, you get a wage in return for all the effort that you do. Well, our sin has earned us something, but it's not a paycheck, It's not something you want, it's something horrible. The wages, what our sin has earned, is death. And something important to understand is this word death is speaking of both physical death, but even worse than that, it's also speaking of spiritual death. Now the Bible speaks of spiritual death that refers to the fact that we are spiritually separated from God and the consequence of that spiritual death is an eternity in hell. So that's a huge problem we're faced with as sinners, There are two horrible things. First, our sin separates us from God. Second, it brings the judgment of God upon us. And since God is a just judge, he has to judge our sin. And the Bible tells us how he's going to do that. He's going to judge our sin by sending us to hell. That's the bad news. But fortunately for us, there is good news. The Bible makes very clear God loves you and me. He loves everyone deeply. He knows that our sin has separated us from him. He knows that our sin has brought his judgment upon us. But since he loves us so much, he came up with a plan to save us from our sin. He came up with a plan that he could still be just, that he could still be that just judge and that we could escape the judgment of our sin. And his plan was that he himself would send his only son to take our place. That sin would be dealt with because Jesus would die on the cross for our sin. That the judgment would be given. That God's judgment would be placed on Jesus so that it wouldn't have to be placed on us. And so his plan was, I will come. I will take the punishment. I will live that perfect sinless life that none of us could. I will meet the standard that none of us can meet. And then Jesus, as that perfect standard, chose to give his life for us on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took the sin of ourselves upon him, but more importantly, he took the judgment that each one of our sin deserves upon himself. And he did this when he willingly was crucified on the cross for us. You know, I want you to imagine that you were in a hospital, your body is full of cancer and a doctor says, you know what, this is terminal and you only have a few more days to live. You need to get your affairs in order. You need to talk with your loved ones. You're going to be dead soon. That, that horrible news that comes to you that your body is just full of cancer cells that are about to kill you, and then I come into that hospital room and I say, you know what, i got a wonderful news for you. I have this special ability. I can take all the healthy cells in my body and I can place them in your body. And then I can take all those cancer cells in your body, and I can put them in my body. Now, if I do that for you, you're going to live. Because the thing that's killing you is going to be gone. But I'm going to die. Because I have to take what's killing you, and I have to put it in me. And so I have to take that death that you should die, because I'm putting that stuff in me. But you see, our problem isn't that we have cancer. Our problem is that we have sin. And Jesus gives us this wonderful exchange. He says, here, I live that sinless life that none of you could. And I want to give you my sinlessness. And I'm going to take your sin. And I'm going to take all the consequences, the death, both physically and spiritually that comes with it. I'll take it on myself. I'm going to give you my sinlessness so that you can live, so that you can escape judgment. And I'm just going to give you this free gift, this free exchange. You get to have my sinlessness. I'll take your sin and I will die in your place. And that's the wonderful free gift, the wonderful news of what God has done for us. But something important to understand is God doesn't force this gift upon you. He's not going to force you to accept it. He's not going to force you to believe it. He's not going to force you to receive it. He leaves that up to you. He offers you the free gift. I've done it all. Forgiveness is available. Salvation is available. I paid the price. All you have to do is put your trust in me, put your faith in me, it's not about works that you do. It's all about just trusting in the works that I've done for you. But you have to make that choice to accept it. You have to make that choice to believe it. John 3:16 says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life." In order to receive this free gift of salvation, the Bible makes it very clear, you just have to believe. Believe in Jesus, believe in his sacrifice, believe in what he's done for you and ask for his forgiveness. And I want you to understand that's exactly what Mario has already done, what Abigail has already done, what Isaiah has already done. They've already accepted that Jesus paid for their sin. They've already accepted that he rose from the dead. They've already asked that he would forgive them of their sin and save them. And now they have a relationship with Jesus and it's their desire to live for him. And this morning they wanna make that known to all of us by being baptized publicly. So the third reason why we get baptized is to identify with Jesus. But there's something very specific we're identifying with. We're told this in Romans 6, 3 and 4. It says, Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so here's the thing. What is it identifying? When a person is baptized, they're going to be fully immersed in water. That's identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So when Mario and Abigail and Isaiah are placed under the water, that is representing the death and burial of their old life. That life that didn't know Jesus, that life that didn't follow Jesus, that life that wasn't forgiven of their sins, that old life is now dead, and they are now forgiven, and they now have a new life. And when Mario and Abigail and Isaiah, they, they come up out of the water, that's a wonderful symbol of a resurrected life, that they are living a new life that now follows Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians five fourteen and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So as Mario and Abigail and Isaiah come up out of the water that is very symbolic of their new life that is dedicated to living for Jesus, that what they used to live for, that old life that was living for themselves and living for the things of this world, they're saying, no, I'm dead to that. And now I'm raised to live a life for Jesus. He's made me a new creation. That old life has passed away. And now I have a new life in him. Now, something else that they're declaring as they come out of the water, as they're going under the water, is Jesus didn't just do this for them. He didn't just die for their sins. He didn't just rise from the dead to conquer their death. He did it for everyone. And so as you watch this, and maybe you have never placed your trust in Jesus, you never accepted forgiveness of uh, the sin that He paid on the cross for, I want you to realize that this is a symbol to you, that Jesus has done this for you. That as they go under the water and that symbolic death to their old life and they raise up to a new life, realize you can have that as well. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, come into your life and save you. And the Bible gives us a wonderful promise. If you do that, God promises he will save you. He will come into your life. He will change you. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he does. So the third main reason why Christians get baptized are to be obedient to Jesus, to publicly show their commitment to Jesus, and to identify with Jesus. And that's exactly what Mario and Abigail and Isaiah are going to be doing this morning. They're obedient to Jesus' command to get baptized. They're publicly showing all of us of their commitment to Jesus, and they are identifying with Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus, you know what? We know living this life is hard. Living for Jesus is difficult. We live in a world where there's a lot of temptations and difficulty. And so, yes, we all have this desire who have put our faith in Jesus. We want to live for him for the rest of our lives, but it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that temptations aren't there. And so as each person comes up to get baptized, something I want us to do as a fellowship of believers is just take some time to pray for them. Because we're excited that they've made this commitment. We're excited that they want to publicly demonstrate, I want to follow Jesus, but we realize this is hard. And so we want to be here not just today to pray for them, but I want us to commit that you know we're gonna continue to pray for them, continue to pray that God would help them live for Him as they go through this life. And so uh we're gonna start just going straight into it, and we're gonna have each person that get baptized just come up one at a time, and they're gonna come. And we're going to take time to pray for them as a church. And I'm just going to give some time. Not all of us will pray. But if you feel led by the Lord that you want to pray, pray out loud so we can hear and agree. And then I'll close that time of prayer. And then we'll baptize that individual. And then we'll have the next person come up. And we'll just kind of follow that pattern of we'll get to pray for them as a church. I'll finish that prayer time. We'll baptize them and we'll just keep going through. Uh, and so we're going to start uh, by having Mario come up this morning. And he's going to be the first one that uh, we go ahead and we baptize. Uh, and so we're going to have him come on up here. We're going to take some time just to, to pray for him. And uh, I'm just going to leave it open For any of you who just want to pray for Mario, especially just praying uh, for God's strength and God to help him uh, as he's making this commitment, I want to follow Jesus with my life, uh, that we would lift him up before the Lord in that. And so I'm going to leave that up to anyone who feels led to do that, and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for the work that you have done in Mario's life. Lord, we're so grateful that You brought him to a place where he recognized who you are and what you've done for him. We're so thankful that you have saved him. We're so grateful, God, that he wants to live for you. Lord, we know that this world is difficult, that it's full of temptations and struggles and hardships. We also know that your spirit dwells within Mario, Lord, that you give us strength, that you give us all we need to live a godly life, Lord. And I just pray that each and every day, you would remind Mario of the fact that you were there for him. That when things are difficult, that you can get him through those difficulties. When things are hard, that you are bigger than anything that he faces. God, I just pray that you would just continue to give him a deep understanding of your word, uh, a desire even greater every day to study it, to know it, to know you. God, that you would just help him to just become uh, a godly man who makes a great impact in this world for you. Uh, and I just ask that you would just bless him today as he takes this step of obedience in front of all the people here, Lord, that this would just be a, a wonderful step closer to just being more like you and following your example. Uh, and so we just lift him before you, and we are excited for the many things that we know, Lord, you're going to do in and through his life, uh, and we just ask for your blessings. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And I will say, this is the warmest water we have ever baptized anyone in. So, Mario, you are blessed, my friend. All right, Mario, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right. Well, we're going to have Abigail come on up next and with her mom, Jessica. She's going to be the next one to go ahead and get baptized. And Abigail wanted to say a few words, so you can speak right in here to this microphone. Um, I just wanted to say something. The reason I'm getting baptized is because I love Jesus and I want the whole entire world to know.
1: Okay. That's amazing. Let's <laughs> um, Do I have to lean down? No. No, okay. no, no, no. it picks you up. <laughs> um, I just uh, had a Bible verse I wanted to read um, for Abigail on this special day. Um, some of y'all probably already know it. It's number six twenty-four through twenty-six. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine His face upon you and I had it memorized earlier, yeah, and show his favor on you. Um, The Lord lift up his face towards you and give you
0: peace. We're going to do the same thing. If any of you want to pray for Abigail, I want to encourage you to do that, and then Uh, I'll close with some prayer. Father, what a wonderful statement that... Have a go, mate. I, I love Jesus, and I want the whole world to know. And uh, just shows her heart for you. Statement. And it'd be great if all of us have that heart to. We love you, and we won't care who knows. We want everybody to know. Uh, Lord, I just pray that that would continue to be the passion of her life. Lord, loving you, growing in that relationship with you more and more each and every day, and being a bold witness for you to declare to the world her love for you and that she could declare to the world how you love them. Uh, And so, God, we are so thankful that at a young age she has made a commitment to you. At a young age, she wants to publicly be seen as following you. Uh, And, God, we just pray that you would just help her to grow up to be just a mighty woman of God, Lord, that you would use her in powerful ways, God, that you would just help her to impact this world, For you, Father. And so we are just so excited um, for the work that you have done in this young girl's heart, Lord. And we are so excited for the many years ahead uh, that you have to work in her and through her and use her. Uh, And we are just looking forward to watching uh, her develop and become more and more like you each and every day. Uh, And I just pray as a church, Lord, you would just help us to stay committed uh, just to praying for her uh, and her growth. Um, and that she would just follow you uh, each and every day. And so we thank you for the work you're doing, and we pray that you would just continue to bless her and use her and do mighty things through her. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Abigail, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to have Isaiah come up, and we're going to have Derek and Lori come on up as well. So if anyone has something that they want to say, we'll say it, and then we'll pray. So looks like Lori has a verse you might want to read. No. Are you
1: nervous? <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm nervous. That's why I brought the book, because I trying to say there I memorized you go. it. <laughs> um, so a little bit over 11 years ago, he was born in... The verse, uh, Romans eight twenty eight is his birth verse. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are loving, loved according to his purpose. It's our, it's our hope, I think, that that he continues to love him because he first, God first loved you. Yeah, these are, uh, I'm excited about this day because these are certain milestones, and we were talking about that a few, few minutes ago. It's, it's exciting to watch this, you know, and you get a, a privilege as a, as a parent to uh, watch your son grow up and, and stuff. And I don't know if, if you girls have this, but with manhood, we have a rite of passage, some of us do. And I tell him all the time, like, do you want to be a man? And he's like, yeah, I want to be a man. I said, well, you're not going to become a man until you know the dumb man, right? And part of that would be doing things like this. This is like a stepping stone into manhood. This is the progress and the, like reading the Bible through in its entirety and just things like this, and I get to be a part of it. So I'm super excited, very proud of who he's become and who he will be. So,
0: cool. Amen. All right, well, let's take some time to pray for Isaiah, just like with anyone else. You want to pray, I encourage you to, and I'll close this.
1: Oh, Father God, uh, Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you that I, me and Lori, we don't just get to to witness this, to see him grow, to see him walk with you, but we also today we get to be a part of this and uh, and to participate in in his declaration of faith. Lord, I, I thank you for his willingness, his desire to be stronger and to walk with you deeper. Lord, I pray uh, for our family. I pray that you continue to give me and Lori the strength and the courage to continue to raise him and to become a a good man. And uh, Lord, I I pray for Isaiah just to continue to walk with you, Lord, and uh, to grow and to mature in you. And uh, so we just... We just pray for your blessing over his life, and uh, we thank you for all that you've done so far. In Jesus' name.
0: Father, this world is greatly lacking godly men, and we are so excited when we see young men come to know you, to see Isaiah at such a young age. Lord, make a commitment to you, God, and we are excited for you helping him to become just a, a wonderful godly man, Lord, and he is so full of energy, and I just pray that you would help him to use that for your glory, Lord, to focus that towards service of you, Lord, to live for you and uh, just be a powerful impact in this world for you, God, and so uh, we are just excited for work that you have been doing in him, Lord, that he now knows you. Uh, We're excited that he wanted to do this and wanted to make this public uh, declaration and to obey you in this, Father. And we just pray that uh, you would use this as just another thing, even as Derek said, Lord, it's another milestone uh, just to help him grow. Uh, And we're just excited for um, what the future holds, God. And we know that you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or think, Lord. And I know that we would love to see so many amazing things in Isaiah's life, Lord. And we know that you have a wonderful plan for him. Uh, and so we just ask that you would help him to be a man of your word, Lord, a man of prayer, a man just devoted to you, and that uh, as he loves you, Lord, that you would use him to love others. And um, But we're just so grateful, uh, and we just look forward to all the work that you're going to do in him. So we just pray uh, for your blessings upon his life. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Derek is going to be baptizing his son.
1: Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: Close in a song of worship in just a moment, but I just want to say: if you're here this morning and you know you've listened to this message, you've seen these three people. Who have made this commitment to Christ and following Him. And uh, you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus. You've never asked Him to forgive you of your sin. You've heard the message of what He's done for you, that He died on the cross for your sin, that He rose from the dead. Uh, I just want to, before we take this time, to just finish in a song of worship. uh, If you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus and you want to do that today, I just want to give you that opportunity uh, as you just see these lives who have been changed. If you want your life to be changed as well, uh, I want to give you that opportunity. And so we're just going to close in a word of prayer. Uh, And as people's eyes are closed and we just take this time to pray, uh, if that's you and you want to make that commitment this morning, you want to ask for Jesus' forgiveness, you want to put your trust in him, I'm just going to ask as we're just in this time of prayer that you would raise your hand uh, because I want to pray for you uh, and just give you that opportunity to accept him. And so let's just pray, uh, and I'm going to give you that opportunity today. Lord, we are so grateful for the work you can do to change lives. We're so grateful for Mario and Abigail and Isaiah and their commitment to you and that we got the privilege of being a part of this wonderful ceremony of baptism with them, God. And we're just so thankful that it all points back to your greatness and what you did on the cross, and what you did from rising from the dead, Lord. And so we're so thankful for that. Uh, And for all of us who have accepted you, Lord, I know that this is a wonderful privilege uh, as we see your greatness and are reminded of what you've done personally in our own lives. And so if you are here today, as we're just in this time of prayer, uh, if you have not put your trust in Jesus and you want to do that, I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and raise your hand, uh, and I want to pray for you. So if you're here and you've never done that and you want to do it today, go ahead, raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Anyone here today? Well, Father, you are so good to us. We know that we only love you because you first loved us. And your love was so powerful and so clear. You didn't just say it, you proved it. You proved it on a cross. And we are so thankful for it. And I just pray, Lord, that we would have that boldness, that desire, that we would have that heart of Abigail, who says, I love Jesus and I want the world to know, Lord, that that would be us. We would want to share with others what you are doing in our life, Lord, that boldness to stand up in front of a group of people and get baptized. Lord, not just to do it once, but each and every day we'd be willing to stand boldly before you, before this world, and declare, hey, we are followers of Jesus and we are proud to be. We love Jesus and we want to know what he has done for us. And so just help us just to be bold witnesses for you and just continue to work in Mario and Abigail and Isaiah and bless them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I gonna have the worship team just come on up. We're gonna close in a song of worship and then we'll close out our service.